Dear Luigi, uh, thank you for inviting Global Loyalty Organization to the European headquarters in London. Um, it's a pleasure to take this interview. Uh, you've been in the industry for years. You are Vice President of the Global Co-Brand and Visa Partnership Development Program. Uh, could you tell us a couple of words about your team, your current structure at Visa? Sure, absolutely. Uh, so first of all, thank you, Anastasia. Um, really appreciate um, you inviting me to be part of your organization. Um, a little bit about myself. So first, as the name would indicate, um, I am of Italian heritage. My parents were born, raised, married in Italy. Then they moved to the US um, and I was born there. Um, so always the Italian to my American friends, but the American to my Italian family. Um, I've been in the payments industry for quite a long time, as you mentioned, for over 20 years. Don't let the massive amounts of hair fool you. Um, but yes, I've worked on, at alternative payments. Um, I've worked on the issuing side at a traditional issuer with uh, Citigroup. Um, and now I've been at Visa for 12 years. Um, and as you say, most recently, I am leading our global co-brand and merchant partnership development team. Um, and so basically we're a team that works with partners across the board, issuing partners and merchant partners to really grow our co-brand business um, and grow business in general. Um, and we have a team of over 50 people across all markets, across all regions, working with partners day to day to you know, acquire, optimize, launch uh, new co-brand portfolios. It's, it's amazing. It's uh, for the visa reach, for visa global reach, Actually, I would think 50 people is not that of big of the team. Yeah. Because in the last 10 years, the visa dramatically expanded the coverage of the co-brand proposition. Yeah, um, and so basically we're a team that's focused and specialized on co-brand, but we work with all of the organization as an extension right, of our team to work with partners. So we're not actually managing ourselves the relationships. We're coming in where, you know, launching and then supporting throughout our account management team. So don't let the number 50 fool you. <laughs> Thank you for this. Um, with this experience and obviously with um, um, your uh, practice, seeing different trends uh, across different continents and countries and sectors, what would you say would be key defining factors for the co-brand program which is launched to be successful? Yeah. Um, you know, it's a great question. Um, it, it's pretty foundational at the end of the day. Um, and so what I'm going to say is probably not rocket science. Um, number one, most critical thing that will absolutely drive success is the strategic alignment between partners. Um, a co-brand relationship is no different than any other relationship we may have in our personal lives, right? You have to have that alignment. Because a co-brand partner at the end of the day, they may launch a program because they're trying to drive scale or growth. They may want to target a new customer segment. Um, they may just want to deepen their relationship with their best customers. Um, and they have to make sure they find a partner who wants those same things. Um, and it takes time, right? You have to embed that goal into your priorities. And it takes not only time, but it takes governance. Um, and so ensuring that you talk about you know, annual planning, quarterly planning, ensuring that those strategies stay aligned throughout the relationship is equally as important. So for me, that's foundational. That's like 101 of co-branding, be strategically aligned. Um, number two really comes back to you know, that customer 
at the end of the day is taking that card because they have an affinity to the brand, right? That merchant brand. And as a result, that merchant brand and those merchant channels need to be utilized to ensure that you know, we are communicating with the customer at the right time and the right channel, especially during acquisition. So for example, in some of our most successful programs, we see that over 80% of the acquisitions will come from merchant channels. Um, and one of those channels is the purchase path. Whether it's a digital purchase path or it's a physical in-store purchase path, and I know that many folks will hear this and cringe a little bit, right? Because that's the moment of truth. The last thing you want to do is create friction when the customer is going to pay. However, while risky, it's also the most rewarding in driving that success of the program and ensuring you're getting the acquisition that you need to sustain the growth. Mm -hmm. uh, needs to be done well, right? So that application process needs to be done in seconds um, so that you don't create that friction. Um, and we see this quite, quite honestly most commonly in the US where if you're online and you're going to check out, um, you'll say, you'll see something like, oh, take 10% off of your purchase today if you apply for the card. Or if you're in store um, and you bought a TV, you, know, you go to cash out or check out rather, and the cashier will say, hey, do you want 0% financing on that TV you just purchased if you apply for the card? It is very, very critical to the successful program. Thank you so much for this. It's, it's what you're saying is very much echoes what we were seeing in our predictions 2023 report when um, the growth of partnerships, our largest members looking to expand their core brand proposition and to find new partnership is one of the definitely key trends for 2023. And one of the biggest um, questions we were asked, what um, to uh, look out for, for the program actually not to fail. So with your experience, what were the, you know, worst things to do, if I may ask, you know, or what are the biggest mistakes that you've seen yeah. that our largest, you know, members should avoid at yeah. any cost? So it's so important, I'm going to come back to it. What drives the most success is also the most common reason for failure. Um, and it's the misalignment of priorities between partners. And I see this all the time. And it comes in many different forms, right? You can be a partner that is striving for growth and you select a partner that's risk averse and is trying to manage their credit risk strategy, mm -hmm. right? Ultimately, your goals are misaligned and you will fail as a result. So if you're interested in targeting a new segment and you're wanting to grow, make sure you find a partner that is also interested in growing in the same way that you are, right? And there are ways that partners can do things to help, for example, right? So when you're going through the whole application process, the approval process, for example, let's just say you're an online marketplace or a food delivery service, um, and you know that this customer has had this address for the past three years because you're delivering items to that address. If you can provide that information to your partner, um, that will help with your address verification for their approval process, right? So that again, that alignment, and it doesn't just come with like, growth versus risk, it also just comes sometimes with you know, the, the card value proposition, right? That's probably the second most common mistake that I see, is that, um, again, coming back to a customer is taking out that card because they have an affinity to you as a brand. Well, please make sure that you're providing a unique benefit um, to that customer that is tied to your brand. 
that they can get nowhere else, right? That Because otherwise there's no differentiation in the marketplace. And I'm not just talking about competing with like other cards in market. Oftentimes, even within your own product portfolio, your products are maybe too close to each other and you're not really segmenting your customers and targeting different needs. Um, the third thing I would say is, you know, I talked a little bit about acquisition earlier. Now I'll talk about the entire life cycle, right? It's about portfolio optimization. Getting them in the door is only half the battle. How do you keep them engaged, activated, retained, spending? Um, we need to make sure that we're focusing that entire life cycle and not just on acquisition. So I would say but those are probably the three most common things. The first one, you'll, you'll, hear, you'll hear me repeat a couple of times, right? You have to have that strategic alignment. Card value proposition, and then optimize across the life cycle. Thank you for this. Um, if um, I just can ask a little bit more details on this um, um, overall alignment of the interest. Um, as I mentioned, a lot of our members, they are looking to expand their partnership network. Uh, in your experience, what do you see working better when the core brand is issued as part of the holding? So in emerging markets, we know, for example, in countries like Turkey or Brazil or Korea, there is a lot of holding companies which will have retail, bank, let's say car retailer or fuel station attached. So it's actually quite natural yeah, to have, to have the uh, core brand card within, within the holding. Or you are seeing some of the successful independent or coalition programs, co-brand coalition programs, which are actually thriving. Is there one winning formula? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question um, because one of the trends that we're seeing, you know, I like to say what's old is new again um, with coalition programs. Um, and we're seeing a reemergence of coalition programs in the Asia Pacific region. Um, and quite honestly, not just in Asia Pacific, all over the world, there's a lot of interest in these types of programs. Mm -hmm. um, you need to approach them very carefully. Um, and the way you describe it is great, right? I, I call it, there's an independent merchant coalition where different merchants come together. Um, and then there's what I call a conglomerate merchant coalition, um, where there's a holding company or a parent company they own or they're the parent for many different brands and they're trying to bring all those brands together via a common loyalty currency and via a common card. Um, to be honest, there's, there's not one better way to do it. You need to tread very carefully. I do think the conglomerate coalition program is easier, um, and it's easier because you have a parent company who is able to influence all of its sub-entities um, you have the common currency, so you're not dealing with sort of the price transfer across them, um, and you know, you're meeting a customer need. With the independent coalition, it's not that it won't work, it's just more difficult as you start to talk about you know, what is the transfer of the value of points or currency, right? Um, how do you incentivize um, customer behavior when it comes to redemption, right? Because you don't want them to just redeem all at one of the merchants. Um, so, you know, it's an interesting trend. I, I'll be honest, when I took this role two and a half years ago, um, I didn't expect, this was something that surprised me, I didn't expect to be having so many conversations about coalition. Um, but yeah, um, lots of folks interested. It's, yeah, I guess it's um, when customers demand, demanding more flexibility, more redeemability, 
that's, that's the only way to go. That's exactly right. So customers want more flexibility and choice. The coalition programs provide that. And there's actually a lot of benefit in it for the merchant partners themselves, especially in markets that are quite saturated mm -hmm. um, for co-brands. So for example, a Hong Kong or uh, you know, in Australia, where when the market is that saturated, oftentimes your issuing partner may not be as interested in new co-brands. But when you bring such a rich value proposition to the table with multiple merchants, that's something that will get interest.